The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present this recording from Saver 2013 in New York City. This recording is from Friday, June 14th. Blending Barrel Aged Sour Beers, featuring Tommy Arthur and Gwen Connolly, The Lost Abbey. Welcome this evening. My name is Bradley Latham. I'm the Senior Event Manager for the Brewers Association, who is responsible for the Saver event. I would like to thank all of you for coming. Uh, I would like to thank our sponsors and supporters of this event, and um, I would like to introduce you to a couple of fine folks who have a great presentation lined up for this evening. Uh, A couple of friends. So I would also like to announce that Craft Beer Radio is recording these seminars, and so it will be available at craftbeer.com after this. So yeah, please download, listen it up. This guy loves it. So tonight, we, we have a very unique seminar for you um, of where these two are putting together the blending of a barrel-aged sour beer for you right here at Sabre. And first presenter is Miss Gwen. Hi. Hello. So she holds the position of Director of Brewery Production and Quality Assurance at Port Brewing Company and the Lost Abbey. She is essentially the warden of the brewery, packaging, barrel program, as well as CSI when it comes to quality, quality control, uh, laboratory, and brewery maintenance. So she does a couple of things. Just, just a couple. Yeah. So she was previously worked at Flying Dog, where she was the quality assurance director and flavor panel leader at Ball Corporation in Ball. Broomfield, Colorado. She was also a biology teacher and environmental chemist, so she knows her shit. And then as well, we have Mr. Tommy Arthur over here, who is a co-founder and director of brewery operations for Port and Los Abbey. He's been a craft brewer for over 17 years now, and he is widely known for his experimental and buried age creations, as well as being a pioneer in the San Diego brewing scene. So I would like to give a hand to the two of them here, and they're going to lead you through this presentation. Uh, Tommy Arthur has taught me a lot of shit, too, by the way. Um, which, yeah, how to talk shit. Um, but what you guys are going to experience is essentially what Tommy has taught me how to do with him as we're doing barrel blending. And lots of people always get very excited and envious when we're doing barrel tastings, especially when it comes to the sours. And we're here to show you that. Sometimes it's not exactly these fun things that you're tasting initially because there's some shocking pieces that are like, oh, wow. Um, And the best thing that Tommy has taught me is that you are looking at all the individual pieces. And so that is what we are going to look at is you guys are kind of essentially blending something that is only four barrels Whereas what we will do is, for instance, when we do poppy or cuvee or duck duck, um, we will look at anywhere from 30 to 60 sour barrels. Not in one day, because that's crazy. Um, But we taste and take notes on every single one of them. Um, You are going to participate in a group way. Uh, We actually do it a little differently, where... um, 
we will taste them individually, um, blindly, and we will just have the barrel numbers, which is what you guys will have. Um, but we will, um, we will then afterwards sit and discuss them. So we'll still have them in front of us, but you're not influencing each other by making faces um, or making comments that you can't help but make sometimes or just making the... Um, so you don't want to see that because you want to make sure that what you're getting, the other person is getting as well. And the nice thing is, oh, really? Nobody ever tells me to speak up. Um, <laughs> the nice thing is, is that you guys will all see that everybody has individual tastes. Nobody is wrong. So what you are tasting is what you're tasting. Um, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, great. Because, and if your neighbor likes it and you don't like it, you're still right. But part of this is going to make this awesome blend, we hope, at the end. Um, you guys are going to be tasting from the top left and then going clockwise. So it's one, two, three, four. Do you guys have that? Okay. Senor. Okay, so, sorry. Hi. <laughs> um, in 2009, we released a batch of beer called Duck Duck Goose. It, um, thank you. Uh, it won a gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival in the Lambic category and has sort of become legendary in terms of the things that we do at the brewery. Um, we do not produce a ton of what we call sour yellow um, unfruited beers. We're known for a lot of sour beer at the brewery that has fruit components to it. But some of the most successful beers that we produce at the brewery um, over the past six or seven years have been non-sour fruited and very hard to get a hold of and Duck Duck Goose is one of those. We are about to set sail and put a new batch of Duck Duck Goose in play um, in August of this year, hopefully for full release. And what you're going to taste this evening are components and constituents of that. There are three different base beers that we're going to end up using to make Duck Duck Goose this year and two of which are on your table. So the first two beers have the darker color. They're more amber in color. And those are from our program. They're called Avant-Garde. Avant-Garde is a year-round beer that we use at the brewery. It's a beer-to-guard-style beer, 7% alcohol, made with a lager yeast, very neutral, um, no wheat, very simple, and has a little bit of a hop character to it. The second two beers that you're seeing in front of you are more yellow or blonde in color, and those are listed um, as what we call PX, and that is our spontaneous fermentation. Those are a wheat-based, more lambic-like um, sort of fermentation, or at least that they're spontaneously fermented with a wheat-based beer. One of the things we'd like you to do real quick is to take and go ahead and sample all four of the beers. Now, wait, before you do this, because quickly there's a little direction. Um, we're looking for about three things per beer that you want to speak to. And what we're looking for is a commonality, because as Gwen was speaking, when we blend in the lab, we do a lot of shotgun tasting. We put them down, she tastes them, I taste them, somebody else tastes them. And we come back and we sort of highlight the, the sort of the pronounced flavor or whether there's something that makes the beer on or off. On might be very nice and tart and incredibly perfect. And then sort of the lactic flavoring, part of it might be that the wood flavoring's too aggressive. It might be very acetic. There's all these things. So when you taste them, you're just supposed to come up with generalizations. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to take you from generalization land to very specific land because as we blend, 
the specifics are very important. So maybe you taste rubber, maybe you taste a specific smoky flavor, and then we're going to come back and talk about what each of those things are because as we go to blend, we want to know what makes the beer go from being smoky to being barbecue, or is it oak smoke, or is it something else? So we're going to spend like two minutes, and I mean just kind of go through them, you know, and, and if you don't have a... a, a if you don't have a great sour beer palate and you're very concerned about not putting something down, one of the things we do at the brewery is very simply it's a thumbs up, thumbs sideways, or thumbs down. Thumbs up, I think this is an awesome sour beer. Thumbs sideways, it's not my favorite on the table. Thumbs down, I don't like this at all. And if you don't even want to get into the sort of the conversation about the words that go with it, it's just up, sideways, or down. Because all we're going to do is ask you which ones were your favorite, and we're going to ask you to put your hands in the air. Because the blending process is about selecting the best ones, the ones in the middle, and the ones at the finish. Now, that being said, when we go to do Duck Duck Goose in a month, we're going to be looking for a very clean, very oak middle, not very oak heavy, and we're looking for some wild yeast as well. So those are the things that we hope that these four beers present tonight. So if you want to go past, up, down, sideways, cool, Please present some of the things, which would be how fruity is it, how oaky is it, what kind of sourness do you taste, things like that. But two minutes is all you get, so have a rep. Um, your saber glass that you got, you might want to rinse out and fill with water. Um, after you use this, we are going to use that glass to blend. So that is going to be your blending glass to end with. So if you have something in it, if you would rinse it out, chug it, do whatever you need to do to prepare that one, please. Um, also, something that I would suggest is that after you've tasted them all, rinse your mouth um, with some water and then go back and taste them again. Grab that guy's behind you. Oh, wait, I see one. Okay, guys. You guys done? Anybody need more time? Does anybody need more time right now? Yeah, more time? Perfect. Okay.
So one of the things when you're tasting, and that's why I was talking about how we do this individually away from each other, is it's very hard. So I trained flavor, I, I ran a flavor panel and trained tra flavor panel for nine years. And one of the things that you would have to do when you were training flavor panel is walk around like a Gestapo and say, no talking, no talking. Because you really do want to share what you're experiencing. That's all what sensory is about, so it's kind of fun. But, sure. Yeah. Sorry if I'm leaking, leaping in with a question here, but um, you say you taste over a several-day period. How do you stop what you've done yourself in your normal life? from affecting how you taste things. So what you've drunk the night before, how much water you've had. That is why we always have several people tasting. Um, when it comes to sour beer, um, it's pretty easy to taste them over whatever it is you've eaten. Um, but one of the things that we'll do is, like for instance, Tommy's notorious for going, I just ate a burrito. And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll wait. Um, because <laughs> he, he literally will do that. He'll come in and he'll go, I'm going to go to lunch. And I'm like, but we need to do, okay. Um, and so we'll wait. We will wait and for a couple hours because that is something that will influence what you're getting. Um, you always want to, three is the magic number when it comes to people um, because you could have somebody that's off. Um, there have been times where it's just like, I, I'm not good at what I'm doing right now. I'm clearly not getting what you guys are getting, so I'm going to trust. And we say that a lot, too, where it's I'm going to trust. And so one of the things when, he was, when Tommy was talking about the thumbs up, thumbs down, I, I actually, when we take the notes, we'll write plus minus. And so there will be, if, if there are two pluses where that means that, yay, everybody liked that, then that's a go. If there are two minuses, then obviously that's not a very good sign for that beer. Um, if there's a plus and a minus, then that's one that we then will look at actually a little more extensively um, just to know that we have the notes down right because what I say is uh, solvent rubber-like, Tommy might say is pencil eraser and um, tennis ball. That's one of the ones that he uses. But we're always using the same terms to describe what we're getting. So we've gotten to that point. And then we have several of the brewers and sellermen that we'll bring in. Um, Greg Peters, who is our lead seller and actually runs the barrel program and gets them for us, also does the same thing. So he's just following the path of taking notes. Um, so we'll run over those with each other because it's the, oh, my God did you get this? Or, wow, wasn't that amazing? Um, so you want to make sure that you have that, whereas if two people are talking and going, dude, what'd you have for lunch? You know? Burrito. <laughs> so one of the things that happens at most breweries is that they do sensory in the morning, sometime between 9 and 11, because that's when most people's taste buds are sort of sharpest and focused. Um, but that's because they're looking for specific flavors, and we're not necessarily trying to ascribe or attribute to each beer. What we're really looking for is sort of a generalization. And one of the things that we've come to conclude, and I think at, at our brewery specifically, is that we tend to do it in the afternoon, mostly because I go to lunch, this, that, we've got meetings. But a lot of what happens is, is that the samples will be pulled 
and sometime between 2 and 3 o'clock, more often than not, is when she will sample them, I will sample them. We will collect our thoughts sort of on the way out the door, which is, hey, we've, we've gotten through the day, and you know you've got to do this before you can go home, and let's go that route. There are two different real types of sensory tasting. One is to be so in tune with exactly what's going on in the beer, and the other is just to sort of generalize. And a lot of what goes on in the blending process is the generalization. And it doesn't mean that you're not paying attention to the, the, the minutiae, but if you pay too much attention to the minutia, you're going to miss the overall perspective. Because it isn't until we get to a baseline that we have to establish, which is what we're going to do now, when you establish the baseline, then you can say, what is it missing? And so when you're taking finished beer, which this is not, this is incomplete beer, if you establish a baseline with minutia, you may miss the bigger picture. And I think that's something that when we work on these things, this really came to be, is, is that you have to establish the baseline. So... That being said, we've all had the beer now, right? Everybody's good? All right, so let's go through this real quick. Anybody in favor of number one is their favorite beer? So what do we got? Four, five, so, okay. Number two? Remember, nobody's wrong. Nobody's wrong. Okay, okay. so there's another six of you there. Anybody for three? So far, the, the winner. All right, number four? All right, so now... As we go back, we want to talk about this. So those of you, real quick, we're going to put you on the spot. Those of you that were number ones, somebody want to suggest one or two qualities about number one that you really, really liked? That's what? Speak up. The oakiness. You like the oak. Okay. Right on. Smooth? Okay. Oak and smooth. Fair enough. We actually were speaking really quickly about the oak qualities between one and two. I personally find there to be more oak in number one that is nice oak, I find there to be more oak in number two that is raw. So she says to me, number two has more oak. I say, no, number one has more oak that's pleasing. Number two has much more raw oak quality. They're both very oaky. Now, threes and fours, which was mostly here and there. So let's put you guys on the spot over here. Anybody in the threes over here? A three here. What you got? Nice sour. sour, right? Tart as hell. All right, it's was hard. it pleasing? So yeah. Lactic, really big, real long acidity. Where were the fours? You guys are the threes? Go for it. Okay. Anybody have any more specific qualities about either of those? Okay. Now, here's where we're going to talk about some of the specifics between the two. So the first two beers, which have really nice, and they actually show, I believe in our oak aging, they're longer in the barrel. So the, the barrel quality that you speak of, the oak, is absolutely in play. They sat in the oak. They contacted the wood longer. So I would expect there to be more oak. Beyond that, they're a heavier alcohol beer. So it's going to have a solvency character. It's going to draw more of the oak out. Now, the, the PX barrels, which are the three and four, are lower in alcohol. They're newer, but they're spontaneously fermented. So we didn't add any cultures to those barrels. They're, they're very viscous to me in a way that the first two are not. Um, but it's more upfront lactic qualities. And so we talk about the intensity of the acid. And so the acid is sort of what we call lemonade-like. Is it vinegar-like? Is it something else? Um, can you taste the differences between the two sets of acids, the, the first ones and the second ones? They're very different, right? So on a pleasing level, because more people in the room seem to like three and four, we sort of are showcasing probably that the acid quality in three and four are more um, sort of you know, more impressive or more sort of desirable. Um, but the oak qualities of one and two are probably going to be more overbearing. So as we go to blend this, the conversation becomes, what is it that we want from these four barrels? 
and if we had 40 barrels, we would be looking for a specific thing. The challenge tonight is, is that we can't, we can't drag in more character. And I'm going to let Gwen jump in real quick and tell you if we had 40 barrels, what other qualities we'd find, because it's very important. As we go to finish a beer out, and we're going to try to finalize a blend tonight, we would want to be able to direct the blend at a certain type of flavor. Is it going to be lemony? Is it going to be wild yeast? Is it going to be oaky? What's the finish going to be? But in our sour projects, we get very specific types of flavors of barrels, and there's about three or four of them that we see pretty regularly. So So something else about the barrels that you guys might want to notice is the first two are actually brand-new first-fill barrels, and that's part of that oaky quality that you're getting. These were not used for anything else. Um, the and next two, do it. Yeah, but, but they're first filled by us. So they're first filled by us, which means they had something in them, wine, um, and they weren't anything that we inoculated with anything that that has grown into what I like to call the flavor barrel ecosystem that it becomes. Um, the next two are actually, they have been used previously by us several times. Um, one of them specifically had been used many times, like three times. Um, so there is a whole culture system going on along with what we spike into it. So it develops its own flavor and personality, if you will. Um, what we are looking for with something like this is we will go back to, for instance, if this is Duck Duck, we will go back to what Duck Duck was or what Duck Duck should be or what we want it to be, and we will start picking out those qualities. Um, with any of the sours, we'll do the same thing. So if we're looking at something like, say, frambois or red poppy or cuvee, there are certain notes that people might find not so pleasing that are very pleasing if they're there in a small amount. So you now have oak quality. You also might have a little bit of a um, drying quality, which isn't necessarily bad. The solvent quality that's there. Some people might even say they get nail polish. Um, they might say that the alcohol content's a little higher. You have that lactic sour. Um, you want all of those, but you want them balanced. And you want them to be balanced so that everybody, so like here we had everybody had their favorite, but nobody's favorite was the same. Well, then hopefully when we blend it, 100% of you will think it's great because there's some of those qualities that all of you liked that will then go into that beer and create that. Then the next time we do it, we have, that, we have that set up so that we can say, hey, this is exactly what we're looking for, and we know that if we have this many barrels, this, if we have 10 barrels, we know that half of those need to be this much oaky and half of them need to be, wow, this much lactic sour. Does that make sense to all you guys? Doesn't it sound awesome? It's good. All right, so I'm going to put Gwen on the spot real quick. So to give you guys a little bit of an insight, now that you've all tasted the beers and you have plenty left, um, we're going to real quickly go through the four beers that are in front of us. And so your initial impressions of beer number one. So taste number one, and, and let's talk about what you taste for the crowd. You guys aren't going to like my descriptor on this, by the Because this is how we would go through the lab. We would pick them, we would stop, finish. I'd come back and say, beer number seven, 66. What are you tasting? Okay, so this has um, a lot of oak characteristic, almost green oak. I would call it popsicle stick, if you will. Um, the smell has a bit of a urinal smell to it, um, which isn't necessarily bad when we're talking about blonde sours, but it does have a little bit of that cat urinal smell um, and a lot of apple. 
Now, if you read that, you might go, ew, um, but these are qualities we would like. Tommy, what are your descriptors? So is this an up, down, or, or side, you know, up, down, This middle? is an up. This would be an up in my world, too. Um, I really like, as your guys' table reference, I really like the oak quality. I think it's very smooth, and it balances the beer, or it sort of tempers some of the flavors. Um, I think that there's a nice acidity to it, although as you taste through the four beers, it's not the most acidic beer on the table. Um, but one of the things that we have to do is determine levels of acidity and sort of determine whether as an up, middle, or down. And the acidity is very important because as you get into heavy acids, middle acids, and sort of being very light or even neutral, you have to determine whether it can be blendable. This would fall into what we would call the two, two and a half camp, which is if there was three of us, it could be as simple as all three of us could say it absolutely needs to be blended. One of us could say I don't like it at all, and two of us could say it's a three and therefore it's a two and a half. More likely it would fall at about a two. Probably two people would say absolutely one guy, one person would be in the middle for two and a half to two. Um, I, one of the things we generalize about is that this absolutely would be part of a final blend based upon oak, acid, um, the popsicle, but not the overwhelmingly poor wood character. This beer would be, would be tagged as being more woody or more, more oaky than it is acidic, but at the same time, as we were starting to sort of structure looking for oak layers, this would be a very pleasing oak layer. So I believe very simply that as this beer at number one is, pleasing, oaky, not stupidly sour, but at the same time blendable and would make the cut no problem for this type of a beer. So let's talk about number two. So number two. Now with what we just talked about with number one and how it was all pleasing and wonderful, and I gave you the urinal, uh, smell this one because this one has a lot of urinal going on. Um, that is... You know the toilets in South yeah, America flush that backwards, is, right? That's a lot. So it's... Just say Toilet cake. Nice. <laughs> so we call them all, ho- hockey pucks, urinal <laughs> cakes, right? How many different ways can you describe them? All of those characteristics that one had that were balanced in that way that we went, okay, these are all pleasing. The, all that This number two has all those characteristics but they are all out of balance. Um, and so something I'm doing is I look at the beer. I take my, when I'm tasting, I don't ever look at anything but what I'm doing. So when you were talking about how do you do that, um, I take away other sensory aspects. Um, and so one of those is you guys. So if, I, <laughs> if I'm like staring at this, then I've taken away something and I'm focused on that. Um, this has everything out of balance. So... The urinal cake is huge. Um, the, there is a plasticness to it. Um, and the, the wood taste is like, this is super, super green to me. I mean, this is almost like you're like, oh, I, I have a, like a toothpick got stuck in my tooth and now I can't get it out. And solventy. I think solventy is an excellent... So in the scheme of things, this might be a, a push or a no push. This is a question mark. This, this would this... be one that we'd go, uh... And this gets back to sort of the, the, the sort of the intensity of the program or what we're trying to accomplish. If we wanted to have a yellow sour beer that had an oak component to it and we didn't have a lot of oak from some of the other barrels, then we would allow something like this to come forward because it is oaky, although it's not pleasingly or as pleasingly oaky. Um, again, we talk about ups and downs, and if three people are sitting on the panel and two people were to give this an up, one might give it a negative or even a down or, you know, it, it might be a two, two and a quarter, two and a half. Um, it probably would make the cut because it's it's not overburdening. It's not, like, it's not too much in any one direction, although the one negative against it would be that it's got a, a real 
real pure wood quality that might be too much for that kind of a beer. Um, what it is missing that I don't, I, and you guys might get it. I just don't get it. It's the uh, the first one had like that apple component. This one doesn't have that to me. But some of you guys might get it. You might be better at the acetaldehyde, and it might be like boom that stands out to you. So three. What do you have a question? So. Um, when you are thinking of descriptors, lots of people make them way too complicated. Literally, whatever the image is that pops into your head when you're tasting or smelling something, use that. Um, because that does correlate to some special, you know, we were like isoamyl acetate, acetaldehyde, all these things. It's like, dude, if you tell me I get pencil eraser, I'm going to go, oh, okay. And I'm going to go, hey, that's with this, and this is solvent, or hey, this reminds me of, and oh, this reminds you. They all relate to something. Don't overcomplicate it. Um, but if you all are on the same page, then you're learning. So, so in the back. Uh, it's right out of the barrel. So I, they're it's totally ambient depending upon what day of the yeah. year it is. But uh, most of the barrels are sitting between 60 and 70 degrees given the weather, given the perfect weather that is San Diego. Um, we, I'm guessing most of the time of the year we're tasting between 60 and 70, um, which is perfect for volatiles and things that, you know, we, we definitely don't chill them. We don't try to achieve a specific temperature. Um, oak's fairly stable in terms of its, you know, sort of, um, uh, what do you call that? Um, Insulation, thank you. God, I'm, I've drawn a blank. I've been drinking. Um, so oak's pretty good in terms of insulating, and the warehouse for most of our barrels are stored is fairly stable. So um, when we pull samples, I would suggest that most of them are between 60 and 70. Now, Gwen kicked it my way, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to F up things in your world, but um, I love beer number three, but I, I, and from the moment it hit the table, and this happens a lot, and she, she referenced it, I get rubber garden hose. And rubber garden hose, when I was a kid... We used to play outside a lot. We drank water from the garden hose. It is absolutely a quality in our beers that comes up from time to time, as does pencil eraser, as does rubber tennis balls. Um, they're all going to fall into the same camp, and it's a, it's a yeast autolysis function. We don't split hairs over what caused it. We don't you know, concern ourselves with how do we fix it, but certain barrels have certain qualities, and to me, number three had this. Now, I will tell you that from our experience, or at least from mine, is that that's a fairly volatile character. So when it hit the table 30 minutes ago, it was at a far higher rate than it is now. But that rubber quality is something that would really impact and be something that of those three things, remember quick quick hitters, that would be something. But I would be looking to say not rubber tennis balls, not rubber you know, rubber eraser. I'd be saying rubber garden hose because that's, that's a different sort of a component. And it's, and it's, again, it's still about a plastic. It's about a phenol. It's about a specific thing. But it's, it's, it's a different layer, and that's the language that we try to speak in the lab. We can say it's rubbery. Well, rubbery doesn't get you anything. You can say it's oaky. Well, is it, is it dill? Is it, is it pencil shavings? Is it raw wood? Is it oaky, pleasing, buttery? So that's the language that we try to speak, and we can't do that tonight in terms of drawing from everybody's sort of sensory piece, but going from rubber or oak or, or, you know, or woody 
to figuring out those next layers is what our job is in the lab so that as we get to ups and downs and middles, we can turn it up and say, well, you might not like it, but I know you don't like, and she does this to me all the time, I know you don't like that or you love that in beer and therefore you're going to love this beer. Every time I sit down to taste beer, she says, you're going to like this one, this one, and this one because those are right up your alley. And that's okay, but it is a part of this job. But those are also components that are necessary in that beer, which goes back to the those pieces being in the beer at some level. You just don't want them out of balance. So let's go to three. So we had a lot of people that like three, right? I like three. It made you gag, really? Why? Why did it make you gag, actually? So that's the cool thing about sensory is that some people love stuff and some people hate stuff and it almost always is some kind of social relation and Tommy just told you that with a garden hose kind of thing where if you have things where you might have really fond memories of the garden hose Loved or it. I love vinegar for instance and I love I know I know and you're going oh my god so and I'm like, wait, real quick it. so the fourth beer had didn't cause the same effect I'm wondering if yours are switched okay Okay. Yep. So she's giving you guys, which is absolutely true, and, and thank you. Um, sensory is all about specific experiences, and that's why when we speak to tennis balls and rubber hoses and things, it's it really gets back to that. I'm, I'm very curious about your experience because my experience with beer number four is far more acetic than number three. So I'm wondering if perhaps they've been transposed or not. Okay. So the diluted... Perfect. All right. Quick show of hands again. Who liked number three the best? So most of the people in the room seem to think that three was their favorite, yeah? Um, I, I, I did this event about a week ago in Philadelphia. If every barrel that we were going to work with at the brewery to make a blonde sour had the components of the constituents of three we would be on to something great. It doesn't mean we would want every barrel to taste like that, but if they all got on the pathway to tasting like that, we would have no problem with our job because it has so many cool flavors. Um, I get white grapes. I get lemonade. I get some oak, a little bit of vinegar. I get some really awesome things um, that make for yellow sour beer to be so great, at least as it comes out of our breweries. That being said, I would still want more oak qualities. I'd be concerned about some of the bitterness or some of the bitter oak qualities from the first two. We'd be looking to temper that. I know for a fact with what we're looking at with Duck Duck Goose right now that a lot of the barrels that we're going to use are going to be in this range, these last two. And so I'm very confident that the baseline that we're going to establish is going to come out of that range of acids and that range of flavors. So I think we'll be okay. But if I was looking to say starting point for where we want to go, what do we want to look at, Number three would be the place I'd want to start, and then we'd want to be adding pieces and constituents to that. So number four. And the funny thing is, is number four, I like better than number three. Yeah. Um, but it's also that same reason. But I actually would like it to be a little more sour. So it's the 
three is like a little too sour for me, and four is like not quite. So I just look at the two of them, and I'm like, you two need to come together. That's all that needs to happen right here. Um, So it, again, becomes preference of is that one too much, is that one too little? But when Tommy says, hey, this is the direction we're going, and here's what I want, then we can look at all of these and go, all right. Actually, the main difference is there are many differences with three and four. Three and four, actually, one is American oak, one is French oak. Uh, one, what? Three and four, which we didn't give you the, there's not this chart, but three and four actually have spent less time in oak than one and two. Yeah. So in, in terms of exposure to oxygen, there's actually less exposure to oxygen. The difference is, is that one and two, we pitched the cultures. In three and four, we created them in the mash tun, and we spontaneously fermented those beers. So and they're massively different in that regard. And they also went into barrels that already had house cultures embedded into the wood. Uh-oh. We've, Uh-oh. We've, I know. we've now woken up the beast. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. Debate. Yeah, so you are you are going the top, clockwise, right? Top left around. So top left to the top right to the bottom right to the bottom left. Fair enough. Who's right? She's Which, right. She's always who's right. right. No, over there. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. so here's what we're going to do cuz this is sort of the the last we got to sort of wrap up this little bit here. Um she had a question. Oh, she had a question. Speak up. By far, the, by far the best question tonight. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. So we have a rule at the brewery, which is that when we make sour beer, we never blend to case totals. We blend to perspective. So what you're asking is, is how do you go from this to the finished product? And what we do is, is we associate the finished beer with a flavor. And, yep, come in. Good, good. Um, what do you want me to say? Nancy, go. Oh, wait. Nancy? Nancy for go? Bradley. Okay, Bradley. He's right outside the door. Let's go, Bradley. Go, go. Uh, So one of the things that we do is, is very specifically, our sour beer program is not about case totals always. We blend to a specific flavor, which we say we'd like the beer to be X, Y, Z. We'd like it to have oak. We'd like it to have acidity, lemon, whatever. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. The beers have certain targets. And so with Duck Duck Goose, there are anywhere from 40 to 50 barrels currently in the brewery. We believe, having sampled most of them, that we're going to end up using 30 to 35 because the beer is supposed to have an oak component. It's supposed to have an acidity that's not overbearing, and it might have a a little bit of a Brett quality. We've identified those in some of the barrels. We will not use all of them because we're not going to say we filled 50 barrels, therefore we should get 900 cases and 32 kegs, and therefore we're going to get... 905 cases and 36 kegs. That's how we choose to do things. It also means we throw away a lot of beer or we reserve beer for later. Part of the blending process is to take the best pieces and put them in play. And that's our goal is to never blend to a distributor number. Our goal is to blend to the number that we need to produce for, for, for what we consider our market. But Great question. But we also have a set. So if we know that we have 65 barrels, 
let's say it's Frambois, 65 barrels. We taste every single one of those barrels. And then we have the, we ultimately would like to get to, say, 40, which is a lot that we're not going to use. Yeah, which is shitty. Um, but let's say, hey, we would ultimately like to, and this is, this is preconceived before we were even tasting them, we would ultimately like to get 40 barrels. As we start tasting them, when you have, like, number two here, number two, when it has a question mark, may have the add in case of or add as a final or a last-ditch effort if you need this quality and this one needs to come up. We have also blended barrels into the tank, so it's all mixed up in the homogenized into the tank, and we're like, yeah, no, that's not quite what we needed. So it didn't come off the way that we thought it was going to come off. So then we go back to the notes, and hey, guess what? We're going to add a few more barrels to it, and that's the hey, that one needed more oaky quality, and that one's going to go in there. Or, hey, that needs more sour acid. Um, that one might go in there. And it could just be like one barrel. So here you've got, and each barrel uh, is anywhere from like, depending on if they're fruited or not, um, can be anywhere from 48 gallons to 52 gallons that we're getting off of these. Um, so angel share being lost, um, sometimes you taste a barrel, and this is the... The perfect world. This is the, D the Disneyland of blending because you have all these equal parts. Well, when you pull them out of the barrel, this one might not have had quite as much liquid as the other barrel did. And so then it becomes blended. Instead of being 50-50, it becomes more like 40-60. So now you need to add something back into it. I know you have a question, and I will come right back. But let me, let me, I want to real quickly follow this up because it's an important part tonight. We spoke earlier tonight, and I talked to Gwen, and this is the piece that I want you to take away tonight, and that is, is that not all sour beer is sour made, which means that the best sour beers are not the most sour beers. So as you taste these and you get one last chance at these as we go to blend at the final part here, I want you to treat sour beer like salt, and that is, is that when you have a, a dish and you're cooking at home, you need salt to balance things, and if you treat acidity as, as salt and you say... I need the dish to have vibrancy in these things. Some layers of acidity are heavier and some are lighter. But when you combine those together, you get a flavor perspective. So what we're trying to accomplish tonight is not to make the most sour beer or the most intensely flavored beer. We're trying to bring all of these constituents together. In order to do that, you have to say, how much salt, literally, how much acid do I need in this dish to get home? So... We're going to take this and we're going to wrap up because they're going to kick us out of here. But keep going. It's good. Um, so one of the things we want to do to bring the message home is to say, we now have four beers in front of you. You have your empty glass. We want you to take each, each one of these and say, Equally. I, loved, Equally. I loved this one, hated that one, want to use this, want to use that. What you're going to find is, is that if you blend things together, all of a sudden you're going to get flavors that didn't exist before because it's like adding salt to pieces of meat when you're done. Things are going to come out at the very end because they didn't exist on their own, and that's the blending process. So part of me wants to say, and I want to say do this and do that and figure it out, but part of me wants to just say do it on your own. But remember, it's just a blend, and there's no right or wrong answer. So we're not looking to say this is the best beer coming out of here tonight. The goal is to say, I loved this beer and thought this one would make it better. Look, there's a whole tray of ones next to these guys. You know, if there's extra beer over here, yeah. share with your neighbors. 
you should find find things that work together and find things that don't work together because that's what we're trying to do. So spend a few minutes just figuring out what works and what doesn't. So what might be fun to start with is you guys might want to take one and four, or you might want to take three and four, or you might want to take one and two and start it that way and then finish with all of them just because it's fun that way, right? Because that's what DuckDuck will be. You guys have more questions? No, 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 no. So what we'll do is we actually... Oh. Once you decide on the blend, how does it... Does it be a, is it put into a barrel to age for a while, or did you just blend it and then it's out in the bottle? No, what we're doing is we actually are taking all the barrels. So when we're talking about... Um, we're talking about 50 barrels. We actually filter those 50 barrels. Uh, we use a sock filter just to get, like, the chunks of char out. It's not actually really filtered. It's just really kind of a cheesecloth. Um, and that will go into a bright tank. So it's a beer bright tank, and that is all homogenized. So all of these beers are then, they become one, um, but they do not go back into barrels at that point in time. To combine the different things. How many different, because uh, I mean, obviously we tried all of these individually. So how different are the combinations, and how many different combinations do you try? One to a hundred. Okay, that's a lie. It usually, it, it usually doesn't take that many times, does it? If we've done our, well, sorry. If we've done our job in the lab, which we're, we're pretty good at, um, if we've done our job in the lab in terms of selecting great barrels and we know that we're throwing things away, because we're not gonna we're not gonna take too much to the to the process. Um, we're usually pretty good at it. We don't spend a lot of time um, going from 30 barrels to 35 barrels just to get five extra ones. Um, so it's not it's not as difficult as it sounds. Um, but it does take a lot of work in the on the on the lead in, which is to really make sure that we analyze the barrels on the way in and get get the flavors right that are that are going on in each barrel. Yep. Is there anything you take into consideration that you're, you're tasting everything flat and the final thing is going to be carbonated? This guy right here has taught me a tremendous amount about that. Do you know, and I got to tell you, there is nothing that I find funnier than somebody tasting where I come out and I go, hey, I've got a, a, a sample straight from the barrel, and they go, it's kind of still. And I'm like, please, please go away now. Um, Yes, you have to take that into consideration. And the other piece that you have to take into consideration is the, the, the flavor of the um, fruit. Um, because one of the things we do, like, for instance, with um, red poppy and frambois, is we will add concentrate once it's blended to up that fruit flavor because it falls out. And we want it to be this big flavor. So when I first started working, we would like, he's like, put this much concentrate in. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, and so the first two weeks of this beer, you're like, oh, my God. And then he's right. It falls out. I know. And it, then it's perfect. Um, so if you get to taste this year's Frambois, you'll see what I'm talking about. Because the first two weeks of that, the raspberry was huge. I mean, it was just like this, oh, what have we done? 
but I already knew that he was going to be right, and it was just perfect. So when you're taking into account the CO2, that's a really big deal. If the beer has a lot of alcohol and you put too much CO2 in that, it's going to come off very solventy. In the same sense, if it doesn't have a lot of alcohol, then the sweetness is going to come out if you don't put enough carbonation on it. So there's this whole piece that goes with it. If you've ever tasted, um, if you've ever tasted a beer that's been bottle conditioned versus a beer that's been like force carved, they're totally different. So what we try and do when we're doing the bottle conditioning and the force carving is we have a lot of really expensive equipment that costs a crazy amount of money. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to hit those so they're the same. So CO2 isn't one of those pieces that will affect you. If anyone has a question, please just raise, raise your hand and I'll come to you. We've got one right here. It's a, a follow-up on the last one. Do you take into consideration the bottling process and then how long it actually sits in the bottle and do you recommend some of these actually? I'm not familiar with yep. some, some yes. of the sours. All right, so here's, here's an interesting thing. I was, I was fortunate enough to travel to Belgium a year ago, two years ago, and um, get to sample still barrels of Lambic and we did a blend with the guys at Dre Fontaine and, and I was blown away by how massively different the flavors are in their beer because it sits in the barrel, it sits in the bottle for a year after they blend it. And as American blenders or as people making this kind of beer in this country, um, we're almost ready to serve, deliver from package, whether it's two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, three months, um, but massively different. There were beers that we sampled in Belgium um, that went into a, a blend of goose that were massively, what I would say is, would be in the middle to this range of things that we would use. And I was overwhelmed by the process of what they chose versus what we would choose. And we took, that was a big takeaway for us, which was we're doing two completely different things. And if you're thinking about salting and if you're thinking about these issues, you know, we're putting beer in a barrel and we're pulling it out of a barrel at a year, 12, 15, 18, three years, months, et cetera. And they're blending one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old and sitting on it for another year. It's completely different. So... The takeaway for us was that while they have a process and we have a process, they are not similar. And while we would like them to be copacetic because we make similar sour beer, they're not. And so we didn't choose to come back and invoke a lot of that and say, this is how we're going to do this because that's what they do. We came back and said, we can't make our beer do that because if we did, it would taste very differently. So stick to your guns. We know that the sour beers we're producing are some of the better sour beers produced in this country. We believe in the process. We believe in the way that we go about doing it, and we will continue to make process improvements. But what we are not going to do is look to Belgium and say, that's the only way to do it because that's how they choose to do it, and it's very different than what we do. So the blending process is key, and the ability to certify the best barrels and figure out how to do that, which gets back to your question, which is do not take... 40 barrels and use all 40 barrels because you filled 40 the first time to make 40 barrels of beer. It's just not possible. I have another question. This is more for fun. Sorry, Tommy. You're great. But as a woman in the craft beer industry, as I am, I kind of wanted to hear, I've only been in for about five years, but I kind of wanted to know, like, at the beginning to now, like, clearly we're all sitting here taking you 100% seriously and listening to you, and you're a fucking ba sorry, badass and the sour blending and everything, I think that's really cool because sometimes I run into 
being a woman in the industry, and I kind of wanted to know how, you know, did people always take you seriously, having this fantastic <laughs> palette? And no, I'm serious. I know, but that's... No, that's the thing. You know, going back... Oh, it's something in a I believe in, in, the, in the words of Mr. Theodore Roosevelt, speak softly or speak loudly and carry a bigger stick. I, I, no, one, no one speaks louder than her, so yeah, they take her pretty seriously. Well, I just kind of wanted to know um, how, how you started and how... I mean, you're, you're here, and that's it, so it, cool it, to it, me, and I just want to know where you came from and how you got here. It, 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 is, it is tremendously hard. It is tremendously hard to be to start at that. But once you hit that point, you know what the best advice I can give anybody, whether it's a man or a woman, especially when you're tasting, is to be honest about what you're tasting um, and to be honest about what you're presenting and what you likes and your dislikes are because if you're honest, you're not wrong. Um, so that you can always just be like, hey, guys, here it is. Also, I- I'm a bitch. <laughs> Sometimes it takes that, right? <laughs> but, but in an honest way. So it's the, hey, this is, I, I, I run the brewery, right? So Papa over here gets to play good, bo- good, good boss, and I get to play bad boss, but then I'm also mama. So there's that piece that is respected in a way, I guess, or not. I don't know. I don't care. How's that? <laughs> that's part of it. Okay, I think, I think, I think that's part of it. It's the I'm honest about it, and and we want to make good beer, and that's the bottom line of it. It's the dude. We just want to make really good beer, and I want people to think it's good beer, and I want it to be consistent, and I want everybody who's working in the brewery to care about the beer that they're making. Because you guys have such a tremendous passion for what we're making that we better be just as passionate about it. Otherwise, you shouldn't be in this business. And that's the bottom line. Well, I think that is the evening. Can, I, can we get a big round of applause for Gwen and Tommy here? I'd like to say thank you for joining us. That was, that was a wonderful, great topic. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2013, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2013, as well as all the salons from previous years at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.